I think I have a lot of patience. I learned to live with very little because of things in life that I couldn't handle. And me focusing on the art meant that everything that I invested was on, on my computer and my devices to create art. When I started selling NFTs, I could give back to my family, could tell them, hey, I, I got the groceries today. And I did small things like that. And I was so happy. That was Ixchels. I gotta say, I'm still kicking myself when I was outbid a few months back on an Ixchels artwork on Super Rare. Her generative art is just absolutely phenomenal. Highly recommend heading over to Masterpiece Gallery that we'll link up in the show notes so you can get a sense of the just huge, wide variety of generative art that she produces. Ixchels holds several records from the $2 million sale of her artwork, Dreaming at Dusk. That sale means she's the highest grossing NFT artist as a woman, a black artist, and a Panamanian. Just a fantastic human. This show was a ton of fun. Let's chat with her. So first question for you, IX, is like, do I refer to you as IX, IX Shells? How should I refer to you? I think most of my friends prefer to say X Shells for some reason. This name has different meanings, so that's why... I I just let everyone just use anything that they prefer. I, I would love to just touch on that for just a quick second. Like, can, can you give me the background on on eggshells? Is that like a it's a shortening of your formal name, correct? Eggshells is uh, it means the same in the Mayan um, culture. It means goddess of the moon, uh, fertility, and the rainbows, and the Mayan culture. Eggshells translated to Spanish or Latin is itzel, which is my my formal name. Also, I develop other meanings. Like I started reading Dune, which is one of my favorite books. Um, there's a planet called X in there where they built machinery and they built on top of artificial inter- intelligence that has been banned from the universe. So. It just relates to a lot of uh, what could probably happen in the future. And also Shells is a computer program that where you can access the computers without request. So I just like doing that with everything, with my name, with art, with the people I meet. Um, everything around me has like a parallel version. When you talk about your interest in either AI or sci-fi or any of this stuff, did you always consider yourself a, a geeky person growing up? Well, I could say that I never learned anything different. Um, I grew up surrounded with, with mostly anime when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Um, a lot of people in, in Panama, where I'm from, um, just grew up like watching anime. And I remember... Waking up super early to watch my favorites. Whenever I was misbehaving or anything, my my dad will uh, give me a book to read, and I could not stand until I finish like uh, certain chapters. Mm. Or he will give me like encyclopedia, or he will make me write like anything that was just like enhancing, like I guess knowledge as a kid, even in English. That's what that's where I learned my English. It was in that form, just reading or writing. Did that? I'm curious. Is it? I'm I'm a dad now with a couple little girls. <laughs> was that a? Was that a? Would you consider that a good form of punishment? Like, did it in- encourage you to like, you know, get into these topics, or was it something where at the time you were just like, oh, this is the worst punishment ever? <laughs> well, I actually learned to love it. Like, I don't know if um, I think it's everything else can be a waste of time like just go to your room do whatever in there um i think you can do something more practical um my dad was an engineer so he was always like trying to engineer everything Mm. around him um i think i learned a lot from him because yeah that's that's what i've been doing all along and so it was something where you did you grow up with computers in the house or what was that first kind of experience for you getting into computing 
Uh, yes, I, I grew up surrounded by computers. Um, like one of the first, I think, uh, my dad had like all kind of uh, artifacts around. Uh, he was into telecommunications um, and satellites. So anytime he was in, in his workshop building something or kind of like inventing his ways around, like he will also work in, in the farm. We, we grew up in, a, in the countryside and we had a, a land, a piece of land where, where he used to plant stuff and just, I guess, plan his retirement to be in agriculture. Yeah, I remember just growing up, learning how to, how to build things like that, learning and seeing from him. I think a lot of what I do is inspired by, by my childhood mm -hmm. too. And what brought you to this place of the combination of technology and, and art? Was it um, something where you always had a natural curiosity for kind of coding and that led to more art? Did you have a little bit of traditional art in you as well? Like in, in school, did you ever focus on any of that or what was that? How did those two things come together? So in school, I was more focused on, on actual data. I remember loving um, accounting and math and uh, just doing practical things most of the time. And I was doing a lot of sports. So I'll stay outdoors uh, most of the time and force my brother to play with me. Uh, I guess he doesn't like sports, but I'll tell him like, I've, uh, you know, the typical just being a kid. Like if you do this, I'll probably um, play with you later, whatever you want in, in the console. I also grew up playing video games. Um, you know, as many others, but... I remember clearly just spending most of my days in nature and just outdoors playing sports. So I think I developed my, my love for art um, as, I, as a grown-up. I've always loved art, but making it um, wasn't, wasn't my focus, I guess. I was more into music, too. I remember uh, trying to learn every single instrument. I even tried to sing opera wow. when I was a kid. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I was too shy to remember going to class and not really going in sometimes. So, you know, um, your voice changes and you just change the habits. Um, I've done a little bit of everything throughout my life. But I think this is the art this is like the one that I feel more comfortable. I feel yeah. at home. So, so you're someone that likes to dabble in a bunch of different disciplines. Is it something where it, I, I th this is like, I'll give you my example. My friends always tell me that like, I have too many hobbies. Like I, like I took a sewing class one time just because I had never learned how to sew. And like, that seems ridiculous, but I, you know, why not? <laughs> it's like, I just, I saw it and I was <laughs> like, I, that's something I haven't done before. And I just signed up for it. Right. Were you, were you someone that was just always trying new different things? I mean, if, if it's interesting, if I feel attracted to, to it, if it inspires me. For example, you know, this month I've been playing a lot online and it made me, it reminded me of how I get very disciplined when I play a game. I think it really helps me rather than take time away mm. from me. I, I've done a lot of like difficult things in life and done paperwork and moved to another country while playing an open world role-playing game. And I think it's because it just guides me through, you know, following instructions, gathering achievements and learning about other worlds. Also, I get super, super focused. I think my brain works that way, that I, I get hyper-focused on art. Um, so when I have a lot of projects, going on at once like I have right now it's it's pretty overwhelming I just dive into something that makes me focus on mm. one thing and then I feel uh more relaxed I feel like uh, my brain can can handle real world is that kind of a, a way for you to get to de-stress de a little bit just to kind of like have something uh, a different universe to go into yeah 
multiple dimensions. I also feel really, really focused when I start sharing art, even if the project that I'm on is not related with with it directly. Uh, it could be, you know, like a gallery show, but it's not related with making the art itself or seeing the output and, you know, falling in love with it like I usually do. I go into just making art and that makes me focus and ha- and, and create and finish the other things that I need to do. When did you first start playing around with generative art? Were you coding other things? Like, uh, were you some one of these people that just had written other programs, like other types of software to do non-art related things and then eventually found yourself kind of playing around with it? Or was there a tool that popped up that got you excited to, to play with this type of uh, stuff? So I moved to Toronto in 2014. I was, I started a relationship and I started uh, going to college for architectural technology. I remember being really interested in just finishing something that I really love. Before doing that, I was doing maritime administration and information technology. I, I'll work as an IT in, in different jobs since I was 18. So I learned a lot about it without ever going to college. And then I wanted to finish something that I could come back to Panama and get a really good um, job and then I do the things I love. Like I was thinking that way in those days because, I mean, it's very difficult to earn a proper income in Panama without, you know, without proper English or a degree. You know, salaries here in a developing country are way different than in any other. So in a developed country. And I remember just going into architectural technology and uh, really loving it, but it was too, too expensive. Came to the point where I had to take a decision and try to find another career. Things in my relationship got really, really bad and I just needed escape. I needed something where I could center myself and I found an offer on computer science to study at Goldsmiths University of London. They were offering a degree for developing countries at a lower price, and I took it. And I, I wrote a letter um, of intent, and they accepted my 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 letter. And I was just so proud. Like I, I couldn't believe I was accepted in that college because you know, like it's focused on creative coding and a lot of like new media arts. And then I started diving into into that world. I started researching online for tools. Uh, I I found glitch art. I was interested in it mostly, and I found tools like Notepad plus plus, and like really really simple ways to alter data on images or or music or anything. And I started playing with it. At the time, I was still stressed with like two jobs, not being able to study in Toronto in a difficult relationship. So I just hyper-focused on, on learning it. And I loved the outputs. I loved what I was seeing, which was uh, way different than anything I was used to see. I could see patterns in trees and in buildings and shadows. It's, it was a beautiful experience to discover another world inside my world. I, I started really looking through the art and imagining, um, imagining and just, or I felt like it was slowly healing from the anxiety of being in a country by myself with uncertainty in life, getting older and not being able to find you know, stability. And I remember just wanting to make art only that. So when I decided to come to Panama and keep studying a computer science while, while creating this like abstract patterns, I wasn't feeling well in the sense of like, I just left a country where I had started from zero and, I, and now I have to start from zero again and get used to my country, to the culture, after five years of being in Toronto. And I came right before the pandemic started. 
So I really didn't have time to go out there, meet people, and, you know, start speaking Spanish again because I wasn't sp speaking in Spanish. Uh, my Spanish feels broken. And it's just a lot happening in my head. I spend most of my days just inside my head and in my computer in my room. And I think I just develop a, a relationship with with my art and what I was doing. I was creating like 10 different artworks or more every day and sharing. And once I started sharing, I've, I started feeling better. I, I had a lot of feedback from, from friends since the very start. And I started meeting people and I, just, I started seeing like I could connect with the world again in a digital form and also with myself. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit of how, how I got into generative art. That's beautiful. You, you've been doing for this for quite some time. I've gone back on, you know, on your Instagram. What, what was, what was the place that you found brought you that most most connection like with other artists and did you realize there was kind of a, a, a movement of generative artists that was emerging or that you could somehow connect with or wh when did you start hearing about other generative artists i remember sharing hashtags with my art because i started researching how to do this you know the whole instagram thing it was just at the beginning of Instagram, I think. I found within the hashtags, all their works, mostly sci-fi art. A lot of like cyberpunk art and glitch art was there at the beginning. Or at least that's what like, I could find in the echo-chamber of hashtags I was using. At the beginning, I was just focused on, on what I was doing and also trying to study. I remember trying to find different facts about computer science and sharing it with an image or an output that I will find during the day. And for example, about software design patterns, I got so interested in it that everything I see had a parallel with, with the terms, for example, of a Kate or the loop and I started sharing in the caption like, different concepts so I could remember what mm. I was studying. What I still was doing like art just just for fun, just to share, just to like I guess create my alternate reality. And yeah, then I started finding other artists and different kind of generative art. I noticed that there wasn't really a lore or concept to it. It was mostly geometry, you know, random outputs, but I always went like an extra mile for anything I share. Like, I don't, I don't think I can share anything unless it's like something that is aesthetic and I really love, but everything has a, a little story attached to it. So with a friend, I, I created a page, uh, called Creative Cold Art. We started sharing other people's work just for fun. And I started creating a community out of it. Like I connected with so many artists. Our community, generative art communities, is quite small compared to, you know, 3D art and other disciplines. So I, I'm afraid, I, I think I could say that I, I know all, a large percentage of generative artists just from like using hashtags or trying to discover something new to share. So that's cool. So I didn't know you created Creative Code Art. That That's your your community that you put together? Yes, I put it together with my friend. He is living in Iran. We met through a friend while living in Toronto. I had many friends from, from Tehran. And yeah, we just... We're just like talking online and sharing art all the time. And then we were like, why don't we make a page that, that where we can just make like a diary of what we're sharing. So I started sharing because like he couldn't trust his, his taste that much. He just like, do you like this? Like he will ask me all the time. So 
Yeah, just created it together. And I kept the creation while he kept making stories. And nowadays uh, he focuses on other things and I, I, I still manage the page. And I, I, try, I share with other artists. We, we have a, a small group on Facebook and, and Discord. But the page itself on Instagram has grown uncontrollably. Yeah. And I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm proud that the people that follow what I like uh, to share trust me enough to follow me all the time. It's been like four or five years now. We created events out of it during the pandemic. We were feeling pretty boomed out that the, the year that we wanted to make um, digital events, we couldn't do it. So somehow... Uh, we managed to get a place in New York. A friend of ours offered us the space and we created different shows with the help of some friends in New York. It was, it was really fun. We were, we were doing VR shows. We were using large screens and, in like a digital form and also in, in the physical space, we started projecting art for three days. We did that three times in, in less than four months and uh, I wasn't I, I haven't I've never been so technical with the term of creation so I was doing a lot at once almost 200 artists at once each time just because I wanted to help as many as mm. I could but now I understand like I should focus more on like smaller groups and try to like push them but those days, it was every, everything was for fun. And, and I remember everything, everyone was so excited and sharing all the time, sharing stories. And I think we created a small space where artists had hope and inspiration. We gather a lot of visual data from it. And also we managed to, to sell some tickets. With that, we created nano grants and we gave back everything to the artists and that's what that was before nfts that was before all of this craze where artists are now independent and you don't need you know you can mint your own work and and get get enough revenue to to create more projects by yourself you don't need to depend on anyone so but those days i felt like i had a responsibility with the audience that i had with the curation so i did everything that was in my hands to to make that happen. What was the moment when you first heard about the world of NFTs? Was it something where fellow artists had started to dabble or did it all kind of hit you all at once or what happened there? I heard about NFTs during uh, winter 2020. Someone told me about Super Rare and told me about Ethereum, which I had no idea about. I, I knew about cryptography, but I never really dove into cryptocurrencies. So when I heard of Super Air and like you had to make different videos and to get in, it was, it was very complicated. At the time, I really didn't go through that process. Spend the year just sharing art and keep creating. And then I started seeing things happening as we all know NFTs start exploding around October. I heard about art blogs around that time through my friend, Dimitri Charniak. He, he was working on the project. I kept seeing like little teasers about it. And then my friend, who's a 3D artist, Nicole Ruggiero, we used to create together uh, 3D art just for fun. I wanted to learn more about it. She sold one of her artworks in one of those new platforms. And I, I just started seeing that I didn't really have to go through, you know, the process of trying to find an online store so I could actually try to make a living out of my art. Because I was so into it that I wasn't really working in an office. I wasn't really doing anything else or generating any income. My family was taking care of me. And things were getting difficult. So I was just thinking on ways to to keep doing what I love while I could bring something to to my family. But when I really got interested was 
when the art blocks came to be with 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 my friend Dimitri, he sold out his work in twenty minutes, and I I saw how excited he was about everything, and also how he was actually. He didn't know that was going to happen. I started researching more on where to mint my work, how to do it. And I found the, the foundation platform through my friend, Nicole. I got an invitation from Lindsay Howard, who's the community manager there. And she gave me advice. She told me she loved my work. The first artist that they uh, featured on their Twitter um, banner, is, they were really trying to push like I, I noticed that they were really trying to push like women in the space and also underrepresented uh, communities, even though there was like a lot of controversy around the invitations and how it was sort of gatekeep at the beginning. I, I think I really think that creation was trying to focus on certain amount of artists to help them succeed and. They helped me a lot. They they show my work enough times to help me grow like social media on Twitter. I never used Twitter before. Last year, I started connecting with collectors and started selling my work. Yeah, that, that that's fantastic. You have some beautiful pieces on Foundation. I always wondered why you chose, because you mentioned earlier, you, you heard of, it sounded like you heard of Super Rare first. But you ended up going with mm-hmm. with foundation. It sounds like the the community and their kind of how great they were at at representing underrepresented artists was was a huge factor in it for you. Yes, I also developed a friendship with with some of the curators. They were really interested in where I was from. I noticed they had the strategies of bringing people from different parts of the world, and then. Like I could bring people from my country on board, other artists that were on, on my lane, like generative artists. I got a lot of invitations and I started like teaching others how to use it. I think one of the one of the points or the things that I love the most about the platform is like it's so easy to use. Like the user interface is one of the best. It's always been I, I could spend hours in there. Just like watching art from everything that was at the beginning, it was the fastest. I was just, I've, I've always been attracted by by user design experiences. So I I think I curate my page as well, not only from other people's art, but my own pages. It's like a giant collage and I didn't even plan it. I think I just, I just go with, my sense of color or my sense of patterns and I keep connecting dots on the way. So I could do that uh, on a foundation as well uh, and just play with how I will build my collection. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Had a lot of fun sharing and not, not really shilling. I never really like just going and trying to sell something. I think I always love attracting uh, collectors or whoever was interested in my art. So that helped a lot to have like a platform where you can show your art and like it's visibility was great. I didn't have to go through all that. The trouble of like going thread by thread trying to share or trying to sell my work. I wasn't really, even though I don't have any money at the beginning, I think I have a lot of patience. I learned to live with very little because of, you know, things in life that I couldn't handle. And me focusing on the art meant that everything that I invested was on, on my computer and my devices to create art. But now I, I, I've, with, when I started selling NFTs, I could give back to my family, could tell them, hey, I, I got the groceries today. And... I did small things like that. And I was so happy. Uh, if you see my Instagram, I, I shared my first sale there. Like it was a hundred million dollars, to be honest. It felt like that. <laughs> it felt like one ETH was like, wow, I can't believe I, I, I just got the support 
to to mint more artwork and also help my family. Let's let's unpack that for sale a little bit. So you said this was one that you sold for it went for one ETH. When would this have been? Yeah, that was like that was actually my second sale ever. My first sale was through through Zora and my piece was collected by my friend Dimitri. Oh, beautiful. He wanted to help me mint more artworks, but also I didn't want to sell. I didn't want to ask for any help because he knows I'm like proud like that, I guess. And he he wanted that. He wanted to collect a piece for me. He wanted to collect my first piece. So that was a gesture for me that he really believed in me and what I was doing. And that I will go on until that piece that he collected would be, you know, more, I guess, more valuable. I was thinking on that in the beginning, but, you know, with time I learned that, to, I learned to love what we were building here. That is a giant archive of art that can last and it's not only stored somewhere else where it can get lost. And all of those memories and the diary that, most, that many of us have, have been building for years can just disappear. For me, my Instagram is like a diary and like somewhere where I store a lot of stories. I made like hundreds of highlights. If, if you go through it, like you can see every day making a story at least. And it's just... A way for me to connect with people around the world. Like, and now I can say I have a friend in like each corner of the globe. And it's just yeah, it's so amazing. I got to say that's been the most beautiful things to happen to me in this transition from kind of, you know, web two to what now people are calling web three is I realize it's a much more, it's a much broader kind of international audience and not just about the Silicon Valley startup. You know, it's, it's, it's really a lot more spread out around the world. At least it seems to me that way. At least my connections in this web three space have been way more international than, than was the, you know, small little insiders game of web two, which I think is fantastic. Yes, definitely. Even before NFTs, uh, as like meeting people through, through stories, but now you can actually work, you can actually trust someone through like this technology because it's transparent right and also it just we need it it shows us that we need each other a lot more than what we think i i use this reference about mycelium networks with mm -hmm. blockchain i created a series of artworks with different fungi fungi elements and i started creating this parallel stories with what we're living right now now we're connecting like I have friends in Russia and Barcelona and like even you know Dominicana well that's closer to me but still it's just insane to to be able to connect this way the more we share the more the more we connect and like the more we see that our thoughts are not so so different like we have a a a lot to share like in terms of goals and ter terms of dreams yeah it's just a it's a dream it's a dream to connect this way because it's hard for me to do it i guess in in a normal social setting mm. i'm curious um when you talk about connection you know some people would say there's there's so many more tools now at our disposal for connecting with people online but yet, in some sense, there's people are becoming even, they can be more anonymous now, um, you know, than obviously in, in, in real life. How do you think about folks that are anonymous online and creating those types of personas? And then also, you know, how we become more inclusive for artists and the diversity uh, challenges that we face in, in, in this world? I think we're all entitled to the ways that we want to leave. Like, I've been wanting to become anonymous. I think I, for a long time I was. I wasn't using my real name. I was using eggshells. I wasn't really sharing my photos. I was just sharing art. And 
I personally felt like I was disappearing. I felt like I was disconnected from myself. Even though the art that I create is so connected with my emotions and how I change physically or mentally. So not everyone, in terms of diversity, you cannot go out and say, oh, you just, life will be easier if you just become anonymous. Like you don't have to, you, you don't get judged by what you say or what you do online. Like you, you tend to protect your information more, yes. But at the cost of like disappearing or maybe just becoming someone else and then not being able to handle it. Not everyone is like that, of course. Some people has their online presence with their real names and has a parallel world with an anonymous account too, which I've probably done. But when you say that there's there's no gender disparity, there's no, the social rules don't apply in crypto. I don't think that's true. Like, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen in, in, like, in many years. Like, obviously we're becoming, we're becoming more connected with data, with technology, what we call singularity, I guess. And uh, our digital presence is stronger or it seems to be getting stronger than our physical presence right so and i think at some point we're we're gonna merge but that's not happening right people that are still depending on their identity to create art to feel themselves to express to show who they are and what they want are suffering from being judged by the dominant class, right? So I don't I don't believe in that argument that anonymity solves everything. Yeah, neither do I, for the record. I, I think it's um people that are making that argument are just I don't know, it feels like a um a way to escape versus confront. And it, I don't know, it just it doesn't sit right with me. Not that some people can't be anonymous. I mean obviously there's a there's there's certain times when when I think that it's it's essential for safety reasons and a whole slew of other things. But the people that say that these issues don't exist in Web three or or just like this <laughs> that that's not that's not the case in my experience at least. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Like sometimes I I want to be anonymous in my own country, even though I've managed to go under the radar with most of the things I'm doing. Because of, you know, safety, mostly Panama is really small and it's not, it's not the safest compared to, you know, other cities in the world. So doing what I'm doing, it's can be dangerous, like depending on where I'm leaving or, you know, we, we tend to joke that we know, we all know each other and we all know what's happening in here because it's like a small town, basically. Panama is also very centralized, like everything is concentrated in, in the capital, in the city. And the other provinces are way underdeveloped. They're just the countryside. So there's mm -hmm. just one city that is really, you know, like has all the resources, basically. And that's a clear example of like what crypto is trying to break. I also, I also say a lot that I would love to see my country to become ethereum city because i think it's a perfect ground to to test like decentralization and DAOs becoming uh their own form of governments and funding decisions funding projects as a collective rather than depending on the same corrupt circles that that get into power every five years yeah is cryptocurrency becoming more more commonplace in, in Panama? Crypto has been very common in Panama for years, actually. So we don't have regulations yet, but there's a bill being proposed to get it get it done. Also focusing on, on NFTs. Like I've met a few people that are promoting this, that are, are trying to, you know, get things right in the country so we can't use this as an for our advantage rather than just 
keep seeing the world developing in our eyes and we seeing behind. So, yeah, I think Panama is, has accepted Bitcoin and, and Ethereum for a while now. And I know there's a lot of people that were early and that tried to start, you know, Web3 developments and products here. So if you come, you, you'll be surprised. Kind of moving a little bit forward to, to some of your more recent sales and, and I mean, some very historic things here, like you had the highest grossing female artist sale, $2 million artwork, the Dreaming at Dusk. Uh, that's right. That happened in March 2021. Wow. It feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> what, what, what were your expectations going into that, that sale? And what had you had sold to date? And, and what ha- can you walk us through what happened there? Yeah, sure. So I was approached by Antonella from, from the Tor Project. She's a product designer there. She used to be. Yeah, I remember her saying that she loved my work. She loved this specific piece called my Magnetic Flux. I think she's just attracted with this old, cool, old school style of glitch art. Where it's like just black and white, and also the message. I like that. I like that she fell in love with the art before anything else, and it wasn't even really, um, you know, known in space. I think I had like less than three thousand followers on Twitter, but for some reason, like, of uh, not for some reason, I guess Foundation had me in their feature artist list. And I was the only person from the Caribbean, from Panama, for Latin America, selling NFTs and foundations. Even though I try onboarding other people, but it's, it's just not easy when, like, you see, like, it's so overwhelming to start. So I really didn't have the, the idea. I didn't have any idea that this piece will go for so much. I did my best to create an artwork that felt like like that disintegrated with time, which was like the concept of the piece. The artwork represents how Tor was deprecating their their onion service, their first onion service, which was created around a decade ago. I was proud. I was really proud to be part of the project. Before that, I was approached by other projects with this. It wasn't as, as interesting as something that was related with my career, also related with crypto and like with decentralization in general. Mm-hmm. So I remember just sharing online on Twitter, talking about it, talking about the history, sharing quotes, trying to get people excited and interesting about Tor. Like even if I didn't manage to sell for that much, even though I, I knew about the presence of like DAOs that care about the work and other other members of the community and even DeFi, I wasn't expecting for this. But the day came where I got many messages asking me about the work and where w- when would it be minted, at what time. And I just noticed there was much more interest than what I could imagine. So <laughs> the bits started coming in, and were you what were you watching? Just streaming online? <laughs> uh, yes, I was just the first day. I was just on Twitter, just scrolling away, and the next day, because the auction lasts twenty four hours, I was in a clubhouse with a lot of people from her story though, from my community, the black community, people from foundation. And they were so supportive. They were hyping even before the bid started coming in. I was just frozen in front of the computer. <laughs> I remember I couldn't see anything. I wasn't even looking at the computers. I think I had my eyes closed or something. I just remember hearing stuff and hearing how the bits will kept coming in. And I just I just got frozen for real. Like, I don't know. I was just another, <laughs> another planet just thinking how unreal this, this was. I had no idea how this would change my work or anything. I just, I was just in the moment, I guess. 
and then the final hammer hits and you see that it goes for for that much money i mean that must have just been a life-changing moment for you there were just as frozen as me my dad my brother was my brother was just pale and he's black he's like he was black so seeing him <laughs> pale is so funny uh you can actually <laughs> see like his skin and he never gets excited about anything but just games and like the things he loved like he's very like he became really cold with time but seeing his reaction and moved by the way by what I was doing, how things were about to change for us was was exciting. I think what was one of I asked him for a hug. I remember I hugged them, told them like I was. Yeah, I remember telling them about everything I was doing. I got I was I kept silent while I was selling NFTs at the beginning because I was just we weren't connected that way. I was afraid that they weren't gonna understand. And we, we've always been so independent from each other, mm -hmm. uh, but we know we love each other, but we just like, we're in each on our own worlds. I just remember saying like, I was, I was working, pay my mom's debt. It's probably not too much for like the developed country, but here like $10,000 like takes a lifetime to pay. So mm -hmm. I paid that. I also told my brother to just quit his job. That was stressing him out so much. I just want him to to live a better life and get better, like physically and mentally. Like I felt like before we weren't doing so well. All of us, we were just living and trying to survive. To be honest, mm -hmm. but now things have changed dramatically. Like we, we actually just sit together, talk about our days. We spend more time together. I feel I feel like there's hope in our environment now. Like before we obviously we had hope before, but I feel like it's just you can actually see that it's possible. So And and your your father, is he not no longer with you or my father passed away when you know, when I was fourteen. He had an accident, a motorcycle accident. I'm sure he would have been so proud to have seen this moment. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I was just thinking this morning about it, seeing his photos from the past. I think if you go through my work on my diary, I guess I share a lot about how I feel constantly about him. I share some photos sometimes, some stories from the past, and parallels of how I relate. Now I'm like, now I'm a lot like him. Like I'm trying to be the pillar in the house so that my mom and my brother can be more free, can be can live their lives. A role that I had to take up as well when my father passed away. Definitely uh changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like it's life's never the same after after something like that. Yes, to be honest, I was I was I've been living with depression for over a decade since he passed away. I was 14, right? I've tried, I've tried to keep my head up. I, I've tried to just keep learning stuff while um, isolating, while even before the pandemic, I was really isolated. I spent a lot of time just on my computer, living my life digitally, basically, because that's that's the best way I could connect. And it was easier for me instead of just, you know, sitting in a room with a large group of people. I've never managed to do that. But I feel like I hold memories of him inside of me, like the way I do things, the way I behave, mm -hmm. my interest in technology and like the future. I'm just keep, try to be strong. Like I've, I've always tried to like do things that I feel proud of. I've worked so many different jobs, even as a, in the Panama Canal, I work in the, in a boat. I was doing a lot of physical work as an ordinary seaman. Then I, I switched to, to IT. And then I, when I moved to Toronto, I was, I was doing a lot of, you know, cleaning jobs, walking dogs. 
I even, I even work in this high rise building for half a year. I was cleaning windows in one of the tallest buildings in Toronto. My neighbor, he gave me the opportunity. I was like, I need a job that, that pays well. He, it really pays well. And yeah, that's, but it's scary as shit though, right? Like, <laughs> Uh, that's, that was a test when I was, how many floors up were you? uh, I was more than 50. So, oh, Jesus. When when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to like play a lot, like with adrenaline. Like I used to jump from like a water tank, like high up and like lose my breath and I would go up and do it again. And then I would just jump from like playground. I really like the adrenaline. So when I was up there doing that, I was having fun. Like my, my neighbor would play like music he he play reggae he's like he was from jamaica we could relate like it was fun i i swear i i kept saying like oh my god this is like stream sports that i don't really have to pay for it and i get paid some days were like scary of course like the thing will move like crosswinds and stuff or i did that in the summer so i i didn't really experience experience like strong strong winds but like my hands get sweaty even with you just talking about it like <laughs> it's it's seriously like i i used to do a little bit of rock climbing and it, i got more than a like three stories up and I, my hands had really start to just pour off sweat that's crazy 50 stories is insane <laughs> i was in survival mode that's why i think a lot of the things we do with we've done during the pandemic has been in survival mode and that's why things move so quickly. Like when we're in that position of like we get challenged or we work faster, harder. And like, I think that's how I, how I was working during those days. Yeah. I was determined to base school. I was determined to live there. But yeah. It got, it got really out of my hands after hours. That's crazy. What a, what a wild ride that you've had over the last few years, it, it sounds like. So w- where does that leave us off today? I mean, I, is this now, I mean, NFTs in art, is I take it that it's your, your sole focus at this point? Yeah. I mean, I managed to move with my family. I managed to keep them in a better place where they can feel comfortable, where they can expand, be independent. My mom was like, now she's like five minutes walk from, from her work, but she doesn't want to leave yet. I told her like to stop working. She works in a hospital and, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really, really dangerous to be in an hospital and still is, but she loves to work and she wants to retire there. And but things have changed. Like now I don't have to travel three hours to be in the city and connect with people, connect with galleries. I've been focusing more on on gallery shows, on museums. Like I really want to see if I can get there. I actually have one of my works in a museum in in Linz. It was created last year, but I think I want to focus on on like building things that will give generative art that presence and like the art world more than what it has. Like, for the past year it's been incredible change to see people interested in what we're doing because before if they were interested they they didn't really know what was happening but now people are interested in learning it it's it's a whole new era if you're approached by a new artist you know someone that's just getting started and says you know generative art really speaks to me. I think this is a very cool medium. Like, what do you recommend people go out and do? Is it learning like P5JS? Is it? I always say, just go for the coding tray. That's, that's how I learn most techniques. Anything is fun. It's, it's not tedious for real. Like you really have, you really see Daniel Schiffman having fun while teaching. And also. And so what is that called? The coding train. Coding train. Yeah, I've heard about this. This is a YouTube series, right? That's right. And so uh, is it is that just general web development or is there actually some, um, is that just P5JS on the coding train or is there other things? There's processing too. The focuses are in P5 and processing. 
Also, Very cool. the, the software that I manage is called Tosh Designer. All the documentation is available online and there's a huge community. We share like a lot of, you know, information, just tips. We've been like growing it for ever since Tosh Designer came out. I think it's my... How do you spell that? I would love to check that out. Tosh, like T-O-U-C-H, Designer. Designer, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very versatile pr- visual programming language. It means that you, you're using notes instead of just writing a script on the browser. You can also use a script, but like you can create many, many works without the need of it. This looks very cool. I haven't seen this before. It's what I've been using for a while. It's focused on audiovisual experiences, interactive mm-hmm. art, what you see, like exhibitions, projections. It's mostly used for this software. Oh, very cool. And so um, you said you, your focus is on on some of the the gallery pieces. Like how in in terms of actually releasing things and, and minting new pieces, do you have any big releases coming up or anything we should be aware of? Yes, I'm working with Sotheby's again. We were having a release in March, and uh, I'm working in like ten different other things. To be honest, um, because I really think they're great opportunities. Last year, it was way way heavier. Like I, I couldn't stop. Like ever since the tour project happened, I just didn't stop. So this year is no different, except that this year I have more curation. Um, I'm trying to focus more on like onboarding and helping other artists now that I have a base for myself, but I, I never really stopped doing that, to be honest. Like I've, yeah. I've been juggling between curating, sharing, like many others. And I think it's, um, the NFT has been a learning experience. Like it trained me to do things that I wasn't used to do. And be more social, be more uh, proactive. It's it really it was really positive change in all aspects. It seems like the the gender of community, at least in my experience, seems to be pretty open to to kind of sharing in terms of helping others out. Would would you say that's that's been you found that to be the case? Definitely, I think so. Since our first way of communication is Twitter. We all know like how the algorithm works. I think sharing other people's works helps both like the pe- the person sharing and the artist. And also it became part of the culture. Like this like the fountain that keeps giving, right? It's not only about hoarding assets. Like this time around we're we're creating things for others, we're creating things for ourselves. So that's Going back to like the mycelium network metaphor, we think it's a lot like growing a garden, growing a plant, and like we keep like feeding each other with the minerals we need to to keep growing. Like we are aware that we alone can't do it. Like we need each other. Yeah, I'm curious um, when you look at other artists out there in the NFT space. And your mind is blown. You're just like, how did they pull that off? Or, or just something really amazing. Like, who do you think of? What, what other artists d- are constantly shocking or impressing you? Wow. Okay. One of one of my favorite artists right now, Isra, Isra Belishkova. Uh, she really has like this this aesthetic and concepts that attracts my eye. There's artists from other disciplines that that I love, but obviously Jeremy Dekar is like my focus most of the time and I try sharing their work. I like what that Def Beef is doing, like using a lot of like vintage coding and like mm-hmm. very basic tools. I like an artist called Quasari Computeri. He makes a lot of like visual works combined with, with code. He has like his own lab going on. I think I, I like artists that are constantly experimenting, using different mediums, not just cold. They use like concept art. They create a whole story around their work. I think that's what I like the most. 
How about an artist that you don't own? Because I know you're a collector too. I went to your gallery page, which we'll we'll put up in the in the show notes um, as well, so people can check out your collection because you have a great NFT collection as well. Anybody out there where you're like, oh man, if if money was no object, I would I would love to own one of those. Any any particular artists that that you don't own yet, but you wish you could. I think my collection is a permanent one. Like I'm not planning to sell any of that. Like. I'm I'm making a story out of what I'm collecting and like it's I I use a lot of like colors. I I know if you've seen my collection, so you probably know. Like what do you think about it? Obviously some of the uh like the centuries are fantastic. I mean there's just a and there, to be honest, there's a bunch of things that I'm just not familiar with. Like you've you've got a lot of stuff that is is not your your obvious artist that I don't know yet you've got a Nicholas Sassoon, which his stuff is so cool. <laughs> there's something, there's something so retro and like so awesome about it. That's one I, I wish I could own. Uh, Nicholas Sassoon, like besides being a great friend, I, I love his art. Like for some time we were joking, like, oh, okay. Like I think we can relate through pixels. Like this is our way to communicate. We used to talk in code and he's one of the only persons that has a cipher of code I made. I used to share a lot of artwork that had this, like, it's not Morse code, but it's, it's something different, but it's not that difficult to decipher if you really, really pay attention. And that many people, I noticed, like, I guess that a lot of people don't have that attention span to, to decipher it, but he did. And that was interesting. And I like the colors. So I think that's, that's one artist I love to, to own a piece from. Also, yeah. I really like Drifter Shoots. Drifter, I think what he's doing, like with photography, it's is amazing. Like I know there's people that climbs like high altitudes out there. Ah, there's some sort of like there's a lot of story. He writes a long lore in, in his artworks, and like you can see, like there's a huge challenge, and it deserves to be to be compensated. So yeah, I love to to own one of those pieces. I like just near to his colors are so beautiful. I think you own one of those. I'm not sure. I, I remember you sharing his work, but yeah. just near is one of those. I like Helena Sarin. Helena Sarin, wow, she's, she paints and she creates, she creates pieces out of machine learning. Like she trains she uses her own data to train some machine and then create another a derivative of her artworks. But what I like about her work is that you often see a lot of silhouettes, figures, human faces, mm -hmm. bodies. So you see a world within like her paintings and in, it's all morphed and modified. A lot like uh, what I do with glitch art. Well, I really like the work from Alida Son. Alida Son is oh, of course, yeah. so disciplined. She really helped me when I was just starting to realize that what I was doing with generative art could go further, like to an audience. She started sharing my work all the time. A lot of people started like seeing it and following because she, I don't know what she recommends is always. You know, yeah, she she gives a lot of her, her taste away, you know, in stories and stuff like that. I love her yeah, work too. I love I love her stuff as well. She's been on the podcast before, and she was just such a fun interview. Super geeky in all the right ways, like into sci-fi and just like all the you know, like just really really fun person to chat with. Yeah, she's super super smart. Like, I think with with we think alike as well. Like a lot of what we do is also related with sci-fi and we create like parallel worlds uh, with you you art. both the two of you should do a mashup that would be amazing like <laughs> some kind of a collaboration together i'd love to i'd love to maybe one day if she's listening to this i'd, I'd love to collaborate we we yeah, plan for some time to meet in berlin breakfast <laughs> so yeah i think it's gonna happen at some point that'd be great well um as we wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to mention that that we left out, or uh, you know, obviously we'll link up your Twitter and all of your relevant links um, in the show notes. But uh, any, anything else to worth mentioning? Yeah, just I just want to express gratitude 
to her, um, a lot of people listen to this and I just want to make sure y'all know, I mean, I wouldn't be in the position where I'm at right now if it wasn't for the support and believing in what I was doing. And uh, I just want to keep working, developing my skills, creating new things, playing around with the technology and like trying to explore what I can do farther, not just staying like this one position. I, I want to keep evolving. And even like in hardships, I hope like enough people stays and like never give up, like despite the changes, despite, you know, volatility and everything that happens within crypto art. Like we are in a revolution. I think like there's no way back. We have to keep yeah. keep fighting, keep creating and keep changing things around for like not a perfect future, but a better one. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you for sharing your story today. Is is beautiful and touching in, in many ways and such humble beginnings and crazy scary jobs along the way. And <laughs> it's been <laughs> what what an adventure. And uh, congrats on all your success. Thank you. I hope we can sit by fire one day and just keep telling stories about how oh, crazy I'd love that. I can't wait till a post-COVID world where we can all hang, you know, because I've had so many great conversations with artists on the show and, and offline as well, um, or meeting over Zoom or whatever. And it's just like so many new friends that have been met, made online. And I just want to, just want to, you know, share a coffee or a cocktail or something in real life at some point, you know? You know, my friend says that like making a movie, like I have a soundtrack for every single day of my life. I think I'll only say 10% of it. So there's a lot to say. That's great. I think that's the only way to live life. We're all making our own movie, right? You just got to embrace that and have fun with it. Yeah, that's where it's at. Fun. If you're not having fun, then why do it? All right, that is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.